0: Hello everybody and welcome to Broomwagoon. You will not get there on a road bike at home. And we are gonna still keep on staying at home and riding on the trainer. If you have one, do it. I cannot do it. I don't have one. Damn it. I solved it too early. Um, But stay home. Have just some small walks outside if you are allowed to stay far away from people. But apart from that, we are here to talk about content, not to talk about rules on how to react of this crazy situation. You have amazing websites that are taking care of this thing and governments as well. The thing that I just want to say is thanks to all of you who listened to the last episode of the podcast or they're just catching up with all the episodes that I've done. Last week with the Team Novo Nordisk, I got amazing reaction of amazing people that really enjoyed the episodes. So, I'm super, super happy for that, and still I'm super happy that I could support with spreading my message about diabetes and everything close by to that. A lot of people wrote me telling him Ah, you know that I'm as well, and uh, you know that my the team Novo Nordis was always my reference team for this kind of thing? I'm super happy for that. Please continue follow them, and please continue support them. Support that we need to give to the small shops and the small businesses that probably are gonna suffer from this situation. I don't know how things are going on for Open, but I keep the finger crossed and I really believe that at a certain point, everything will start again and everybody of us will continue ride our amazing Open and Open-ups and Open-wide that I would like to test super soon so keep also tuned on uh, the open website and uh, if you are looking for a new bike probably can be the best solution there because it's really a bicycle that can give you a lot of cool experience by the way i spent the last saturday on on putting up together my new handlebar handlebar that also here small businesses uh, was provided me really kindly by bus Bas Rogatz, that he, hopefully I didn't misspell his name, that he owns this amazing shop in Amsterdam, the name is Will Runner, and if you're in Amsterdam or not just give it a look, to it, you can find it on Instagram or whatever, we are Runner CC, and yeah, he was super kind, we know each other since a long time and we met during the Atlas Mountain Race and during a talk about handlebars. He provided me with this amazing salsa handlebar that I can't wait to try it out. So, small businesses there still give support. Another support that you have to give, and if you want, the amazing person that Andre is, Andre from Shin Bar, is giving you the opportunity to stock up with all the bars and other nutrition amazing products that he does just by using the code BROOM30, 30 numbers, and BROOM with the B capital letter do it because these people need a lot of support. Another thing that I would love to mention is about bicycles. Yeah, because today we're going to talk about bicycle and bicycle frames as well. But 3T is doing an amazing initiatives from... And you know how much I love and I like the 3T people. I have one of their bikes here. Um, 3T is providing to you the possibility of getting a 3T Strada. The model should be the 3T Strada... Pro Force, yes, the Pro Force, by the way, Force Mechanic is my favorite group set. Plus, an elite Suito trainer that I've been looking around for a long time, but I cannot find it because every, everything is sold out, but they have it. Plus, a 500 euros offer from one of the hospitals in Bergamo, that is the city that is most affected in Italy by the coronavirus. So they are selling all the package all together with an amazing price and discount and uh, yeah, I think it's a great initiative. So, well, I actually really suggest you to go to the 3T um, website, Is 3 t 3 dot and have a look to this offer. It's pretty interesting and you will really support First of all, the hospitals in a situation where it's really, really bad. Second thing, also a company who is fighting to keep up. The last thing, really, I really don't want to be so heavy in this kind of thing, also because this episode is going to be pretty, pretty, pretty long. I know this guy speaks a lot. And uh, if you go to the website of Industry 9, you can see how cool is the initiative that they are running. They are putting their knowledge and skills in microengineering and mechanical engineer on support of everything of everybody who needs to produce something useful for the for fighting against this issue that we have now this COVID-19 crisis that we have. Have a look to the website is industry9 this time in letters industry9.com and you will see their call so if you work in and a factory that makes, I don't know, uh, ventilators for supporting hospitals and everything that can be supportful for this kind of issue that we are having at the moment, well, you can have a look, there's the contact there and you can support, you can be supported by their skills and professionality. I will stop it now. Stop talking about this thing. I would love to talk about the amazing episode that we are going to listen today. I met rob robert quirk during the atlas mountain race he something like we go out to meet up uh, pretty spontaneously and pretty naturally we talked a lot we talked a lot before the race to start during the race and also after and he's a nerd so he's a super cool guy pretty talented guy but also super bicycle nerd he's a frame builder and we talked a lot about materials and geometries and everything related to that I really, really hope you're going to listen to that because you're going to love this episode because we laugh a lot and that's an amazing thing. I will talk to you at the end of the episode. Well, I have to be pretty direct here today because this guy here that is on the microphone with me anyways we have a good distance between each other is one guy that told me at a certain point Stefano when are you going to interview me (laughs) and so here we are actually it was super spontaneous hi Rob how are you doing
1: hey how's it going Stefano I'm
0: doing okay I'm doing okay
1: I was yeah I was pretty direct weren't I
0: (laughs) I loved it also because as I was there now apart from jokes it seems like you really pushed me on doing this interview exactly the day before While I was riding my bicycle I was thinking damn it, I need to interview Rob Quirk. That's exactly one person that I want on my microphone and on my podcast. And then the day after, you wrote me, when are you going to interview me? And here we are.
1: <laughs> here we are. Yeah, it was a very fast turnaround. I like that. I like it that you were already thinking about it.
0: Yeah, I thought about that because we really spent so much time together in Morocco. And uh, yeah, you were kind of, I was kind of missing you. <laughs>
1: i miss you too Stefan. you're too far away in switzerland
0: yeah 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 Yeah, i know i know and actually yeah we need actually to ride the bicycle together apart from uh just speaking on the on a microphone together but i'm pretty sure that today this one is gonna be pretty a long interview so everybody out there raise yourself
1: yeah i i can talk a lot
0: (laughs) i I absolutely recommend that you can talk a lot. I can do the same. I was writing a, I was writing a thing. Um, when was it? Yesterday, and I was exactly remembering the moment, the first moment that I saw you in person. And um, it was when I was out. I was checking. There was the the bicycle check outside of the registration day, yeah. and you were there talking pretty loud together with Chris. Yeah. And then I was there taking out my microphone. You both started talking as crazy. I think I have, I don't know, 50 minutes of recording of you and me there just saying stuff completely nonsense. It was great.
1: Stuff that people don't want to listen to.
0: No, 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 no. no. I'm going to keep it for my personal reserve of, (laughs) I don't know, light-hearted talks with nice people. Let's put Uh, it this way.
1: That's the next podcast. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. it's gonna it's gonna be something more like a pillow talk listening to people saying bullshit before you go to sleep
1: yes yeah, yeah
0: yeah yeah thank you man thank you we're gonna be three because i'm gonna listen to it as well <laughs> cool man so probably i don't know if people know you completely i hope that everybody knows you for a couple of reasons i can name yes three of them Uh, I hope that people know you because you do amazing things with your frame and you're in the bicycle field. I I hope that people know you because you are anyways a pretty talented person. You can write, you can build frames, you can make photographs, you can make a lot of cool things so people should know you. And on the other side, I hope that people know you because I hope that people listen to the Atlas Monterey podcast. So, yeah, I really believe that people should have you on their radar But on the other side, if people don't, probably could be helpful for you to give us an intro about yourself.
1: Yeah. Well, um, for anyone who doesn't know, I'm... uh, Shame on you. Yes, (laughs) shame (laughs) on (laughs) you. Press pause, go Google uh, my name. Uh, Well, uh, I'm Rob Quirk, and I'm the founder of Quirk Cycles. I set up Quirk Cycles five years ago. So five year anniversary is this month actually? So wow, when when exactly? Uh literally this week. So it, I I started. It's my birth. It's my birthday, and it's my business's birthday. Uh, when so, is gonna be? Can you
0: tell me, or do you want to tell me off records? Um,
1: literally this week. This week, but I haven't got. Okay, okay. I, I had things planned for bespoke bike show, which has been postponed because of covid-19. Of course. Of course. So, yeah, we'll we'll try and get some celebrations in next year. But yeah, I'm uh, I'm the founder of Quirk Cycles, which is a custom uh, bespoke uh, bicycle uh, frame builder uh, company. I'm I'm the frame builder. I'm well, I'm the everything of the company, so marketing, <laughs> brand brand manager, um uh, construction uh, you know i i do it all and i guess a lot of people will maybe have come across me obviously through the custom bikes i make but also i try i try and take part in at least one long distance ultra bike packing race each year so this year it was the atlas mountain race which how many weeks ago no, it feels like a lifetime.
0: Wait, what's today? So, just for uh, for records here, today we are recording on Monday, the sixteenth of March, and the first. So, the starting day of the race was the fifteenth of April. So, I would say four weeks.
1: So, yes. So, so April. Sorry,
0: of February, for 15th of February. So, it's so been four a, weeks ago. A
1: month. It's been a month. Um, yeah. So that was that was the ultra race I uh, took part in this year. Last year, I did uh, GB Joro, or I started GB Joro and further. The year before, I did Silk Road Mountain Race. Uh, 2016, I did the Transcontinental. So yeah, I've, I'm, I try to be active in the long distance bikepacking community. And one of the reasons I take part in these events, apart from the fact, well, for, for me how i came to cycling was not through a racing background so i was i was never a racer uh in a traditional road racing sense uh you know I, I i wasn't a guy who was part of a club doing like uh the crystal palace crits or what have you and that's because i, I always found that quite inaccessible to uh to myself just just I guess for someone uh who's first come into cycling uh, as you know something more than just you know uh, a mode of transportation, like it's quite intimidating, and but then I came across the transcontinental uh people like Mike Hall, uh, who was the founder of the Transcontinental and a, a very famous uh ultra uh racer. And I was attracted to the philosophy of these races, which placed emphasis not so much on, you know, physical prowess and, you know, how fast you could be uh, over a short distance, over a short distance of time, but it was more on the idea of how self-sufficient you could be, how carefully you picked your equipment, uh there seemed to be more emphasis on strategy and this this really appealed to me so when when i founded quirk cycles i started looking at these ultra races and i applied for tcr and i saw them as the perfect um what's the right word for this the perfect a sort of crucible uh, or environment that I could test out ideas uh, on bike design and push you know, push your push the bikes that I made and test ideas on geometry uh, function all, all these sort of things uh, in a compacted space of time. so for instance, you know the transcontinental. The year I did it, it was 4,000 kilometers uh, length, or nearly just shy of 4,000 kilometers. It did nearly, I think it was 40,000 meters of climbing. So, yeah, because uh, it, it had two checkpoints in the Alps, so you basically just had to ride.
0: There was the Furka Pass that year, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Furka uh, Pass, uh, uh, Paso Ziao. Yeah. Oh yes,
0: yeah, yeah. I hate it.
1: <laughs> I re- I really enjoyed that one because it, it's quite mm. it's quite short. Uh, yeah, but it's in your
0: face. Ten k's, ten percent.
1: Yes, yeah. Uh, it was quite nice actually because cycling up that one, uh, each corner it had a gradient sign, and like you, know, you see the first one, it's like thirteen percent, and then you do the next switch back and it's like 18 percent yeah okay and then you do the next one it's like 20 percent and it's like 23 it's just like getting gradually stiff uh steeper and steeper as you go up but uh i think by that point i had settled into the race yeah i mean i mean uh, sorry this was meant to be an introduction to me and quirk cycles and i've probably got off on a tangent
0: uh, it's going to happen. And actually, I can tell you that also you anticipated a lot of my questions. So we can shut down the conversation right now. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. It's a perfect intro about yourself. And maybe I can touch base on some of the points that you just picked briefly at the moment. So you said, uh, you told us that you started your company five years ago. And that you are coming from a branch of cycling that is not exactly the crit racing. From where did it start then? From where your passion for bicycle, for riding the bicycle and for building the bicycles comes from?
1: Well, I guess like most other people, your passion for cycling probably starts when you're very, very young. So, yeah, obviously, as a kid, I rode bikes. I, I, it's funny, I, I probably was doing gravel riding before <laughs>
0: like, before it was cool yeah. let's move on this direction, it's the perfect hipster quote, you were doing gravel cycling before it was cool,
1: but that that was because I was really uncool and like, um, I, I was always the kid who like uh, got, got you know, the, the the best toys or the best equipment or whatever like after everyone else, I was always behind the scenes, so you know for instance when everyone had a Super Nintendo, I was still on a Sega Master System sort of thing, yeah. And similarly, when the mountain bike craze sort of blew up in the 90s, and then all of a sudden, everyone, everyone you know, every shop uh, was selling mountain bikes, everyone was buying a mountain bike for the bike that they would cycle to work on, and what have you. So, all, all my mates had mountain bikes, but I still had this 80s uh, drop bar, you know, steel, uh, racer, I think it was a rally. Um, uh,
0: uh-huh.
1: it must've been like 20 mil tires or whatever. <laughs> and then, uh, cause I think 23 was considered really wide back then. Yeah. And then, you know, we'd all go into the woods. So like, all my mates are like doing the jumps and shit on, you know, like the, uh, whatever decathlon or, halfords like uh mountain bikes and then there's me on like a drop bar like rally milk race, uh, <laughs> doing all these jumps in the woods on like 20 mil tires or what have you. Um, uh, but when you're a kid, you don't even think about it. Yeah, uh, which I think is quite interesting because you know, if you if you think about these races, like Atlas Mountain Race and you go in the group and everyone or you go on the gravel, uh The gravel bike uh groups on facebook and stuff and every week there's five people going what's the best width tire what's the best drop bars what's the best this what's the best that and but when when you were a kid you didn't think about that you just jumped on the bike that you had and you know you you took it into the woods because that was the bike you had so you just did it um um which now I'm probably at the other end of that scale where I'm, I'm trying to make tools that are perfectly uh, designed for the job at hand.
0: Well, Well, then that's the thing. So you started having probably not the best choice of bicycle to follow your friends. And then at a certain point you decided that, okay, if I cannot get it, as good as I want or as perfect as I want for the kind of cycling that I love, then I'm going to make my own. That's how it started with frame building. Does Um, it sound?
1: Yeah, sorry. There's there's probably like, uh, we've got to talk about, there's probably like a 20-year gap. Still. (laughs) In that, but yeah. uh, Essentially, when uh, I sort of left cycling behind, as maybe a lot of people uh, do, and then came back to it, in my adult life, and then it was very sort of basic here you know, I was using it to commute like go to university uh, on my bike, get around town but
0: what did you study by the way, Rob sorry if I interrupt you
1: I studied art, so I, I come from an art and design background
0: okay, okay, I can see um, that from the different way you're doing through stuff that you have this kind of heart background and stuff so yeah, yeah that's why I wanted to ask you
1: yeah but also I mean uh, the sort of stuff. I was doing in my art practice. For instance, you know, I I, uh, I was studying an MA in research architecture, so mm,
0: okay. uh,
1: a lot a lot of the stuff I was working on was concerned with, I guess, problem solving through creative thinking. But also, uh, the idea of like designing and building things was also a big part of the practice. So. So through my art practice, I was often picking up like a welding torch and what have you uh, to make things. But sort of like it it was actually through my art practice that uh, my love of bikes got reignited uh, in my adult life because I ended up living in Berlin on an art, art residency for three months. And when I was there, I bought a bike just to get around. And I don't know if any, you know, for the listeners who haven't cycled in Berlin, if you've cycled in London and then you go and cycle in Berlin, it is just like opposite end of the scales. Whereas in London, people literally are trying to drive you off the road because you know, you're just like this annoyance, you know, in the way of cars. Whereas in Berlin, like all the traffic stops for you and it's like you have right of way and it, it blows your mind, you know. Uh, and then, yeah, I, off the back of that, I was just like, this is the best form of transport. But still, you know, there was a 10 year gap between my obsession with bikes starting. And I, I was doing things like at one point, I was renovating like 1950s, 1940s classic lightweights. So things like Claude Butler's, Bates, Hetchins, all these really famous old british uh, frames that were built in the 40s and 50s i i was finding them uh, renovating them putting the original parts back on them and then selling them on um, because there's a big market for i think this is before the frame builder boom sort of happened so people, people started getting interested in these old old frames that were built by these British frame builders back in what people would call the golden age of cycling, you know, uh, were, you know, back in the forties and fifties, if you if you wanted a bike, you went to a frame builder. That was how you got a bike. Uh, of course you have big companies like Claude Butler who, you know, still exist today. Not technically not really the same company, but I mean, Claude, Claude Butler was a frame builder. In London, who just got very big. Um, And they made some, you know, the 1940s and 50s bikes that they made were just stunningly beautiful and so well made. And ingenious was like, for instance, during the war, uh, they were making their own lugs because you couldn't get cast lugs anymore. So then uh, Claude Butler developed the Bylam process where it was taking a piece of flat sheet and rolling it round into a tube and then cutting them so it was making it was making them look like lugs so you could still have your lugged bike or the aesthetics of lugged bike but you know um, when there was this shortage of lugs during the war that sort of thing really interested me and that that interest developed and grew and actually in the end um, I was like riding a carbon frame. I'd sort of like you know leveled up and like saved up and bought a very very nice carbon frame. And at the time, I was uh, designing because I wanted to go into production to make a carbon frame. The reason for this is because I was kind of inspired by Argonaut Cycles.
0: Ah, yeah, of course, Argon Cycles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the one that they're also now developing some bicycles for the pro peloton or they're not the same
1: oh possibly i I haven't heard of that i mean he's a builder based in portland okay originally he was building steel cycles but then he he decided he wanted to make carbon so he worked with this carbon company in i think washington state um and they developed uh custom modes and a custom bladder process which so they they could make molded carbon frames that were to custom geometry okay very ingenious like amazing and inspired me a lot and i was like i want to do that but um and of course like doing carbon fiber like in the uk uh would be well. you'd think it'd be very possible because a lot of the technology exists here because there's a lot of companies that make formula one uh carbon fiber products ministry of defense there's a huge carbon fiber industry here and i did start developing this like working with these companies talking to them but essentially in the end the 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 barriers to production uh were quite high because of cost and also a lot of these companies you know they're, they're taking on million pound contracts from the ministry of defense and then when there's some guy who's like oh i really want to make bikes they're like okay that's cool but you know we're not really going to give you a lot of time
0: <laughs> let's let's see me let me check my importantly li- importance yeah. list here
1: <laughs> oh, you are I'm on the back third back.
0: page <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly uh, i mean i i learned a great deal uh, and they they're always really open and you know, they, they just loved it when you were like, Oh yeah, I wanna do this and they're like, Yeah, come on down and he showed me around and yo, know, uh probably show me a lot of trade secrets. Okay. Uh but in the end, uh the sort of barriers to starting were too great. And at that point I I had to sort of like regroup and think about how exactly I wanted to do this and I sort of took a step back and said, like, all right, well, how about, how about I just learn to make, you know, uh, a steel, uh, a steel frame. Uh, there's plenty of courses. And I, I ended up going to the bicycle Academy in Froome. Uh-huh. For anyone who don't know, it's this amazing uh, teaching course uh, based in Froome near Bath in Somerset, UK. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why they're so good is because they've managed to really understand and deconstruct uh, the the welding process so traditionally back in the day if you wanted to learn how to weld it was this idea of master and apprentice and like the master would show you and then you would copy and you wouldn't do it very well and then it's like well you know in 15 years time you'd be you'd be good at it whereas uh at bike academy they 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 sort of broke down exactly what was happening with the touch so then you know they quite audaciously claimed you know we can take teach you how to weld in a day and it's true you go in there and they, they talk you through all the science and they sit you down and then at the end of your first day you've done your first uh technically not welding it's brazing so you're using a brass filler but you've done your you've done your first brazed parts and they're very good um but yeah so after after failing to start with the carbon production i went and did this course i built my first bike i built it up and i rode it and then you know I, i told you i i had a carbon frame at the time a a really high-end one and it was it was good it was very good i mean i i bought this frame believing all the marketing you know that this this will be my last bike this is it you know i've sort of like I've, i've made it i've made it to this pinnacle of cycling equipment and then when i got it and i rode it it was just like really meh (laughs)
0: yeah Um, i can feel exactly yeah the feeling that you can have there exactly you're riding it yeah it's another bike
1: but you know you're made to believe this this is it and and but that's not to say it wasn't good i mean it did exactly what i asked of it yeah but i always felt that its personality was like you know so if you wanted to go fast it'd be like yeah we can go fast and you'll go fast or oh you want to take that corner okay let's take that corner and you take the corner but then when i when i built up the steel frame and i started riding this it was like it was egging you on it was like your buddy your friend who would be like come on let's ride you know let's ride really fast let's do that climb let's do it was it was the um wanting you to ride this bike and the the thing I realised with steel is I like, uh, the way I talk about it anyways. I like it it has this quality I would call positive feedback. Okay. Um, so negative feedback would be like things being communicated to you that uh, through the frame that you don't need to know. So you know you you can get these ultra stiff carbon frames, but actually when you ride them. It, it's telling you about every single bump in the road,
0: yeah, yeah yeah,
1: um, which is not useful information, it doesn't help you, it just fatigues you, whereas I found steel had this really positive feedback was like the sort of things that was telling you were sort of useful uh to your riding experience, like how well you were attached to the road, uh, you know to help you judge like your cornering ability your uh all, all these sort of things. Like, uh, and I mean, it often gets described as still having, you know, this zing, uh, which is so opaque. But yeah, it does. It has this zing. It has this liveliness, which arguably you don't get with any other material. So yeah. I mean, Tell me
0: more about that, if I can sort of interrupt you here. So you were talking about positive feedbacks and negative feedbacks. For me, the negative feedbacks are pretty clear. So every bump that you can take, any, I don't know, grain of salt you can find on the road, you're going to listen to that on your body because being super stiff, the frame is going to communicate to you directly the feedback on what's on the road. But what about the the positive one? How can you just be a bit more, uh, can you tell me something a bit more concrete on that? You were saying, for example, that can really tell you and teach you how is the best way to corner. How do you feel it? I'm telling you because ah. I'm the kind of cyclist. So I have a frame, um, I have a carbon frame and I have a steel frame. Yeah. Uh, but the point is that I'm the kind of cyclist that you just need to tell me, okay, that's the front, that's the back, go and ride it because I cannot really understand anything. Really. For me, I just push the power there and that's it. That is not even enough. But the thing that I can feel, for example, between the steel frame and the carbon frame is comfort. Really, uh, steel adapts to your body and adapts to um, still the the surface that you're riding in. Just to give you a tiny bit of example, I've been riding cobblestones with the steel frame and it was during the two times that I've done the uh, Tour de Flanders with it. And then I've also done the same thing, not on the Tour de Flanders, but still on cobblestone with my carbon frame. And the feeling is completely different.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, well, we we have to be careful here, because uh, when talking about these qualities, it's it's not purely down to material choice. So, in terms of stiffness, uh, steel is actually one of the stiffest materials you can build. Okay. Um, even over carbon, one of the reasons why, or uh, aluminium, because Uh, one of the reasons why for instance aluminium feels stiff it's not the material itself uh the stiffness of aluminium is much less than steel but because of the properties of aluminium it being uh, softer slightly less strong and steel it means to get strength you have to build it with thicker uh wall so the wall the walls of the tubes are thicker but also you have to increase the diameters of the tubes to give it strength so aluminium gets a lot of its strength from its profile and then the the byproduct is that of that is it makes uh, a very stiff frame so when people say aluminium is stiff it's not the material itself that's stiff it's because of the properties of aluminium and how you have to build it of you know how you have to make the tubes uh, to make them strong enough to make a bite, that makes that makes it stiff. Similarly with carbon, I mean on, on paper carbon is the most amazing versatile material because uh, when you're designing a carbon frame you have the opportunity to completely tune every part of that bike to have different mechanical properties. So, and you would, you do this through layup. Uh, So, you know, a, a carbon frame is made up of many layers of carbon fiber fabric, which will be laid in different directions. And that's called the layup schedule. Um, so by laying up this fabric on the tubes in different combinations you can tune the properties of how it will perform so for instance you you can have a layup schedule around the bb that's very stiff but then in the top tube you can uh, maybe use less uh, layers of fabric you might use them only in one direction or in two direction i mean you would never really ever use them in just one direction because carbon fiber strands are strong uh, in torsion but not uh, like against crushing forces so to have strength in a frame you really need the fibers to be in many different directions but the the um, the possibilities with carbon is amazing and it's why i was really interested in it as a material to begin with But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's being used to its full potential in the bikes that we have access to. Or, uh, you know, because a a lot of time carbon frames are made uh, in uh, factories in Taiwan and China. And uh, a lot of time the companies don't own the layup schedules, which means, you know, they, they don't design Uh, they don't design uh, how the carbon fiber sheets are laid up so a lot of companies simply you'll use a frame that's designed uh, and won't necessarily perform as good as it could steel similarly steel uh, as a material it has it has these properties we were talking about but when you're talking about the property of the bike you can't you can't talk about just the property of steel on its own you need to think about uh the tube selection the tube diameter the geometry of the bike so i i could build you a bike out of steel that would be so incredibly stiff that you know it would ride and pick up every single bump in the road and it will just beat the hell out of you because steel is a super stiff material and uh, but uh, and there's probably a lot of frames knocking about now made out of steel that are overly stiff because there's been a sort of fashion for having these oversized steel tubes that come in you know, different shapes that you know makes them look like a carbon bike and people like the aesthetics of that and that was the same with me i I, I really like the, the aesthetics of that and wanted to design bikes you know, around this but then I started to realize like these oversized tubes were too oversized and made made the ride very very stiff okay. Which, if you're if you're riding a race bike comfort is not your primary concern mm-hmm. so that's fine if you're designing a race bike uh, but if you're designing a long distance endurance bike then comfort becomes much more important because the more comfortable you are the further you can ride uh, the longer you can last and fatigue uh, doesn't become so much as a problem so yeah so when we're talking about the properties of Material um, or how the properties of how a bike rides. It's not just down to material. It's down to how the frame builder has designed the geometry, has selected the tubes. I mean, the, there are also uh, properties of the tubes themselves. So things like having butted tubes, which is when uh, when the tube is the wall thickness is thinner in the middle of the tube. And then on the ends of the tube, it's thicker. The reason for this is uh, you have thicker walls on the ends because that's where you need the strength, where the most stress is in the frame. It also gives you a better uh, welding um, uh, material. So a thicker tube will weld better, but also when you weld, you change the properties of the steel, so uh, you essentially anneal it. So having thick tubes makes it stronger and will be better uh, or stronger after welding. And then the reason you have thin sections, thin wall sections in the middle of the tube is obviously you can make the tube lighter, um, but also like thinner wall sections, uh, they filter out, uh frequent high frequency vibrations better. So if you have an unbuttered tube which is the same wall thickness all the way through, it will actually not last as long as a butted tube, which a lot of people find surprising because they think you know a tube that you've removed material out of would be weaker and wouldn't last as long, but you've made it lighter. When actually it's the inverse because because it f- filters out these Uh, uh, vibrational frequencies better Uh, it means it has a longer fatigue life Uh, but I mean unless you've had a really badly made frame like the fatigue life of a steel frame is way beyond that of carbon and aluminium anyway so uh, a lot of time it will be the lifetime of a person and more Uh, but it, it's still like this benefit uh that you, know, you you want out of your frame
0: yeah pretty clear and uh <laughs> I think so it... no no truly <laughs> finally we went a bit into some uh, frame building nerding things yeah. that i really understood because usually you know you in these kind of things you just get some uh, i would call them buzzwords or stuff like this okay yeah steel is smoother aluminum is super stiff and carbon is the the best way in the middle and it's lighter or um if you want to go on a way more comfortable bike then go to steel and everything is gonna be fine even road bikes in steel are way more comfortable than gravel bike in carbon and all these kind of things but actually it's not uh, the main so the proper um, the property of the material is not inherent thing inside, but actually is a process that's come that comes through the frame builder's hands. And uh, anyways, yeah. who shapes the frame?
1: Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, you can generally like in general, an aluminium frame will feel stiffer and mm-hmm. you know won't deal uh, with vibrations uh, or it will translate more. Of those vibrations to you, the rider, than say a steel frame, but it's not an open and shut case. It all depends on, uh, you know, what tubes have been used, how the geometry has been designed. Um, because you know, for instance, a compact frame geometry, um, that can make you know that because you're using shorter tubes, you're making them stiffer. So in one sense, you're making you're making the bike stiffer, but in another sense, you're having things like more seat post exposed. So there's more flex in the seat post. So then arguably you could be making the frame stiffer, but at the same time, you could be making it more comfortable. Uh, So Then, you know, when it it comes down to the frame builder, uh, part of the frame builders job is taking all these things into consideration when designing frame and and that's that's sort of the strength of custom because uh, i mean i'm going to start talking about things like bike fit now and stuff uh, i don't go don't, for it yeah
0: <laughs> yeah go for it come on let's do that get,
1: get quiet yeah deep uh, so i mean the thing what i'd say like uh, the strength of custom is that you will go to a frame builder and you will say i want gravel bike or i want a road bike and the frame builder go okay so there'll be a lot of things that will inform the design of that bike so things like uh, the weight of the rider uh, any sort of past history of injuries uh, Mm -hmm. any unique sort of uh, physiological uh, you know for instance i i'm like six foot two but i have relatively short legs in proportion to my torso so my i have more upper body weight than lower body weight and that that can cause issues you know if i have my saddle too high then too much of my weight is falling onto my handlebars so for a tall person i actually have a relatively small saddle the whole point is you know it's not just this case of like oh you're six foot two so that bike fits you yeah you know, it, it doesn't necessarily work like that so the um we will look at things like his riding style as well so he might say oh i want a gravel bike but then it's like okay so what sort of things are you going to be riding uh, what sort of speed because how fast you ride changes how you support the weight on the bike so if you go slower uh because if you're if you're riding fast you're lifting your body up uh mm-hmm. you're essentially standing on the pedals and then the slower you go you put more weight on the saddle yeah so we uh we take all these things into consideration um and the reason why this is important and why this feeds into bike fitting is because a lot of the time people think a bike fit is like when you go to a tailor to have a pair of trousers made so you know the bike fitter measures your inseam and goes, "Oh, that's your saddle height." Uh, just like a tailor will me- measure your inseam and say, "This is how long your trouser leg will be." Uh, but that—that's actually quite a bad way of thinking about it because uh, the bike fitter's job is not, or part of the bike fitter's job is to measure you and and see your know, your actual physical dimensions of your body but actually what the bike fitter is more interested in is uh, how you distribute your weight over the bike Uh, so you have your main contact points the pedal the saddle and the bars and his job will be to distribute your weight across those contact points to depending on what your aims are so like a racer might be wanting to find the best position uh, that will have increases power output and minimize discomfort but he might be happy to have a bit of discomfort as long as his power is in you know a better uh, he's getting better power numbers whereas like someone who's a long distance tourer will be like it's all comfort and i'm going to be going a lot slower so there's going to be a lot more weight on my bones so then the the bike fitter will work to find the most uh, the best compromise before, between all these sort of points and distribute his weight evenly uh, over the contact points. He will then pass that information on to me. And then my job is to design the bike uh, underneath these contact points that balances his weight in the best way. Um, so you, you could turn up, you know, this is a bike I've bought and you turn up to the bike fitter and you go, can you make me fit this bike and he'll go sure yo like we'll give you a stem this length and we'll give you a setback or we'll push the saddle further back so that we get a better uh saddle setback number for you so your weight is uh, all this but we're, what we're doing with a custom frame is we're not trying to fit you to a bike we're trying to fit a bike to you to you yeah
0: and to you and to the use that you have to do with that bike
1: exactly and then uh and then this this is the sort of thing that will then give you amazing positive feedback because the the whole process of riding the bike is 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 a process of balance so what what's actually happening when you're riding is you, you you're falling to each side alternatively so you're in this constant state of falling off your bike but subconsciously you're correcting Uh, so you know if you start to fall to the right you move your body to the left and you correct that fall when you started learning to ride a bike as a kid that that whole process was internalizing uh, the process of correcting uh, your balance so that you didn't have to think about it so it became subconscious Uh, so then when we design a bike we're designing a bike that works with you you know uh, in terms of balance so everything like you know when you're cornering uh, or when you're going up a climb or when you're descending really fast it's all about uh, controlling your weight and controlling your balance so then if we've designed a bike that's uh, to work perfectly with your uh, your balance uh, to your weight distribution to your riding style um, then in theory uh, and I would say, uh, in actuality, uh, which is why, you know, the customers, when they get a bike off me, they always report back, like, this is the best bike I've ever ridden. And that's because, you know, it's, it's made to balance with them. So then all these things become more natural, you know, all, all these acts of controlling your bike, uh, become, integrated into that person so you you have a better riding experience so then um sorry we started from the point of like talking about the material properties of steel um my, my point is being like yeah yeah we can talk about uh positive feedback and uh and these different properties you know the zing the the liveliness of steel but i i guess the point i'm trying to make is it's not just the material property itself it's a whole process of a custom bike is to pull out uh these these great properties that integrate them into the rider for the best possible riding experience so then uh, possibly this is why you like off-the-shelf bikes might not give you that great riding experience and why you know the custom process um, Is so worthwhile doing if you're like if uh especially if you're doing any great deal amount of riding or particularly if you are uh, one of these people who sit on the extremes of uh, frame sizes as well because you know a lot of the time with smaller frame sizes off the shelf is like they they shrink it in a disproportionate way uh, you know, they do things like you know, steepen the seat angle and slacken the head angle just to bring the saddle forward and the bars back, but then uh, they're not doing it in a considered way in relation to the bottom bracket. So it's like you can put a smaller person on there, or particularly your uh, female riders have this issue uh, of smaller frame sizes not really fitting or not working with the body distribution of weight so then you know they can fit on the bike and they can go and ride it but it just won't feel that great
0: yeah i can completely see the point here so but let's maybe step a bit more into the kind of uh... How can I call it? Something like a customer experience that people that come to you have. So close to that one, we can go through as well some of the inspiration that you got. So how does it look like? Usually people come to you and they say, Okay, Rob, I would love to have a bicycle and the bicycle must be one of your models. I don't know. I'm thinking about the dormitor or... Which one are the other ones? I have have them here. The Overland, that is something that you are putting in your portfolio. And then from there on, you are starting shaping the perfect custom to the person. Or people just come to you and saying, okay, I want a road bike. I want a commuter bike. And then you start from that. Yeah, And um, which one is the influence? And sorry, I will probably finish with the question because it's a bit around the room. And which one is actually um, the influence of your experience of uh, designing this kind of frame together with the experience of the user, final user at the end?
1: So um, like one, one thing with, because obviously as a custom frame builder, a lot of people think it's like... Um, your customers come to get these wonderful frames made that they can't necessarily get anywhere else and it will have uh, all these hand-carved bits. But I mean, uh, there are builders who work in that process. But for me, uh, the idea of custom isn't so much about, you know, literally sitting down and carving this bike out of metal to make this completely uh, artisanal, Uh, product Uh, custom i think is big part of it is the fit and the balance i've just discussed but also it's investing into a sort of a different unique product but one that's maybe designed more for the user so a lot i have made i have made uh bikes are what i will call deep custom where i've been machining uh, parts in the workshop you're uh because they're not available uh to get elsewhere or we're, we're solving a unique uh set of problems where um you know you you can't get on an off-the-shelf bike and there's a reason why it's not on enough often if you can't get on an off-the-shelf bike it's because you're it, it it doesn't work <laughs> you know, but then a custom builder can can find a way to make it work and wh- when i say it doesn't work it, that wouldn't necessarily mean you can't do it but in terms of production uh it doesn't make financial sense so there's a lot of you know work to make it happen so there is that aspect of it where you're making these completely unique builds uh that there's not really anything else like it but then On the flip side, you know, for instance, I I have models uh, and some people, well, modern frame builders, you see a lot of modern frame builders do have models. They have specific models. And the reason for this is because, uh, or particularly for me, is the models represent the type of riding I've done. They also represent the most common uh, setups that people want.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so i think you asked uh you know i'm involved making a lot of gravel bikes but uh, you get a lot of customers who want gravel bikes uh, particularly because the industry was slower to respond to this trend i mean now we're in full-blown Gravel bike. yeah yeah everybody anyway. every
0: every single brand have at least one gravel bike on their portfolio
1: yeah uh but when i started you know this was really when it was burgeoning yeah you know, like uh through axles still weren't being used 35 mil tires was con- considered the standard um like now we're at this other end of the scale uh were you know it it's really developed quite well but yeah these uh these models um, sort of represent the sort of bikes i ride but also they represent an easy way for people to access and understand what's available to them but they're not fixed and a good example of that is for instance my mam tour is uh, a grode bike or an all-road bike it's a gravel road bike so it's a gravel bike that takes a lot of its cues from endurance road bike geometry, but then you have the ability to take it further off road. Um, but for instance, you know, I had one customer who's like, I'm a long distance Audax rider. Uh, so he had a high need for running permanent mud guards uh integrating a dynamo system because he's like i'm never ever gonna not run a dynamo and i'll always have dynamo lights on there so then we were able to take the mam as a base and then customize it to his needs and integrate the dynamo routing and oh uh and you know the the mud guards and all these things and, and make it the sort of perfect bike for what he needed to do at the same time i've had customers who from, like for instance i've got a tandem making its way through the workshop at the moment which obviously isn't a model on my website but um yeah i mean i was it's a gravel tandem uh you know with ss couplers and stuff so it's like of course i'm going to say yes you know it's like this is such a cool uh bike to make um i mean funnily enough like um At the same time, a lot of the time, people won't ask you for stuff they haven't seen you make. Or there there can be a tendency, which uh, is kind of amusing because it's like you kind of need someone to order it before you can make it. But then sometimes people won't make it until they've seen you. Uh, I mean, people won't order it until they've seen you make it. So you can get stuck in this catch-22. But still, there's... uh, yeah, another project, yeah, I'm going to be making the first TT bike to come out. Oh, I'm quite okay. happy about, uh, which will be your, know, like, uh, focusing on, I mean, that's completely different, uh, and it, it it won't become a standard model, but I think once people see um, that, you know, I, I've i made one, you, you always end up getting more orders for it. Um, what was the question? <laughs>
0: No, it's completely fine. And actually, I want to continue on that and because I love it. So that's amazing. So you are telling me that your project, so you are managing and you are thinking and you have actually in your mind and probably already in your uh, workshop an idea to do a TT bike. Yeah. And damn it, this is really jumping, stepping into, uh, I don't know, an environment where, okay, TT bike must be a carbon bike, nothing else. And that's amazing. Why? How did it come to you into your mind? Do you want really to push the boundaries or so you have in mind anybody that wants to participate to a TT competition or to a triathlon competition? Or you are looking into Ironman racing in the future?
1: Well, I mean, uh, this is really driven by the customer. The customer has come to me because he, a lot of the time, you know, the uh, a big part of frame building is your brand and image. And how people relate to that because a lot of the time when people get a custom bike they're not necessarily investing in a bike but they're investing in you uh, as a builder and your company and and what that represents so you know this guy you know came to me and he's like you know I want you build me a tt bike because uh, he's a tt rider that's that's his you know bread and butter he does all these um tts and yeah you uh you know the first thing you said about that is that like, you'd expect it to be a carbon bike, which um uh, yeah, but uh, a lot of the time, you know when it comes to time trials, like weight is not as important. Um, position is hugely important, like this the the gains you can get in power in aerodynamics and like comfort is like being comfortable on tt bike especially if you're doing long distance uh tts is paramount to you being fast because if you're not comfortable you you might you might have a good power output on the trainer but then it's like okay can you hold that for 20 minutes can you hold that for 30 minutes um so getting a custom tt bike is probably one of the smartest things you can do if you're a tt rider because um you can really really tune a bike to and your position on that bike to be the most aerodynamic the best power output and the most comfortable which those three things will give you some of the best results uh you could hope for and again um people often talk about the weight of steel. So in terms, you know, the actual, uh, steel as, um, as a material, its mass is, you know, denser than that of aluminum or titanium or carbon. But in terms of, for instance, you know, uh, Aluminium might be less dense, but then you have to build it into thicker tubes and bigger tubes. But then, uh, A high end steel bike weighs the same as an aluminium bike uh, or less. I mean, uh, you know, I bespoke last year there was a a steel road bike that weighed 5.7 kilos fully built. Yeah, which, uh, I mean, if you want to, if you want to go down that route, if you're a total weight weenie. And that's what you want to make. Yeah, you can do that, of course. Um, arguably, though, I'd argue that weight is probably the least important thing you have to worry about unless you're a hill climber. Yeah. Uh, Especially for TT,
0: doesn't make any sense to be super yeah. light. Bike.
1: Uh, I mean, you do, you do get TTs on rolling terrain, but even then, uh, I mean, if for all those people who are like the long distance, uh, buffs there's a guy called chris white who he's done the transcontinental i think every year since it started and he's got this amazing website um, uh, resource on you know like long distance ultra racing um, and he goes into it's basically you know, like a how-to you know what do you need to think about what should you do sort of website and he goes into everything from equipment choice to bike choice to all these things but he's got this really interesting section called detriments to speed where he talks about all of the things that affect your final uh time your know yeah your output so things like rolling resistance aerodynamics weight um he also talks about sleeping strategy fueling strategy and all this you know and but when you start to really dig down into what affects your overall time uh, so for instance he calculates uh, if in the best circumstance say money was no object and you could spend all the money to drop two two kilos i think uh, he said would be like the best case scenario, dropping two kilos off your bike. You know what impact would that have on your finishing time over a four thousand uh, kilometer race? And it was something ridiculous, like two hours. You know, it it would make you Damn two it. hours yeah. faster. But then he's like, if you made your bike more aerodynamic, so for instance, no bar bag, just a frame bag, and you were in the tt aero bar position for a quarter of the time or something like that you know it would save you i think it was half a day uh similarly if you bought a pair of tires that had a better rolling resistance that would save you something like 10 hours or whatever over four five. so his argument being is like weight is really not important even when you're doing a race with a lot of climbing it's you know and the, the thing with it as well is where you will spend the most money to get the least returns was working on something like aerodynamics or you know rolling resistance you know just having better tires will have a better uh impact what's the question again <laughs>
0: I think we are fine. We are in the perfect <laughs> situation here. No worries, no worries. I love that actually we start from something and then we go on something more interesting. So it's perfect. But let's go a bit more into some more anecdotal. I always had problem with this word, anecdotal questions. Yeah, because anyways, you are a frame builder, and I'm sure that from time to time you receive weird requests yeah yeah totally. and I know that you are pretty reserved on saying this kind of thing, but tell me more. Tell me a couple of weird requests that you received. Uh, oh tell me the weirdest can also really? be a good
1: approach yeah um I think like what one of the things I've had this request a few times, which I always find surprising, and it's like uh when they request not to have your logos on the bike like to have no branding. At all,
0: mm. and no logo bike.
1: Yeah, which I kind of get, but then at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, but, you know, why are you even, you know, asking me to build a bike? Because it feels like an odd thing. Because uh, I would have thought a big part of why you come to me is because you know you like what I represent and what I stand for, and you know, yeah, like a big part of that is the branding. Um, so yeah, yeah, I've I've had that a few times which is and what do you do
0: how do you react uh, on that
1: uh well it's like unequivocally like it's no (laughs) it's like because obviously you know that's is how it's a big part of promotion and how i sort of like uh and yeah i want to make quirk bikes i want i want yeah that's that's the whole point isn't it uh so yeah um i mean I'd probably get. i mean, That's a. That it's one of the difficult things with custom, anyway. It's like you know, you get people going like, I want to be able to do this, uh, or yeah, you know, I want to run this tire in this sort of bike, and or I want to have some seat stays that do this, or that, that. and you know, it's like, and I can't find that, and it's like, well, there's there's a very good reason you can't find that is because yeah, you know, it would either it would handle terribly you know the the bike would feel crap (laughs) it wouldn't ride very nice or mechanically it's unsafe or you know there's lots of different things so i've had requests that aren't necessarily weird but you know there's certain things where i've said no i'm not going to build that because uh it it just won't be nice uh but there is definitely a line there's there's definitely things which personally i would be like i don't think that's going to be the best way to do it or it might be a bit funny looking but you know you do it because you know that's what the customer wants it's it's finding that balance between building you know i guess that's part of the conversation it's making something that i'm proud of you know it's making something that is a quirk cycles uh, as well as making something that the customer really wants it's a, dialogue. <laughs> cool. it's a dialogue. Yeah,
0: of course. Yeah, yeah. You need to find something like an agreement in the middle. It's kind of kind of a negotiation about how the customer imagines his new bike aesthetically, probably, but also functionally, and how on the other side the expert, aka you, aka Rob Quirk, mm. thinks how is the best for the customers and for the use and for what he represents.
1: Mm. I mean. It it's become less and less uh, now because I think maybe, because
0: everybody looks for a gravel bike.
1: Yeah, or maybe people understand. You know, they they come to me because they want a quirk and like. Mm. You know, on on the other on the other side of like, you know, what's the weirdest request? The other end of that is like you just get people that are literally like, you know, it's like I want a bike. Okay, uh, what? It's like gravel bike. Uh, like this He's like just build me a bike just build me the best bike you can i'm like okay <laughs> it's like you take
0: the lead on that
1: <laughs> yeah yeah they literally just they put the ball in your court and it's like you just do what you do and you know ask me what color i want it <laughs> so yeah you know, um which is is kind of great because you just you you get to build a bike uh without compromise that you know will work really well and like will uh ride really well and like you know you just you just get to uh do your thing and yeah it's refreshing uh but i mean the whole point though is to have a dialogue and uh yeah so um with most people it's somewhere in the middle where uh yeah you're just having that conversation and I think that's a big part of, of custom building. It's like, it's the conversation. People want to talk to you. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. But on the other side, another thing that I wanted to ask you is that, because I think that anyways, there are some of your bikes that are riding around the city and also all these ultra endurance races, isn't it? You have built some of those. But on the other side, the cool thing of your side is that you usually build up prototypes and then you test them in probably the most extreme situations and uh, races of the spectrum. So I know that from time to time, something like you were riding the bicycle, you were riding a prototype, you were were riding a prototype and in your brain started, uh, I don't know, uh, a question mark saying, "Rob, what? What the hell? Why did you come? Did it come into your mind to make something so weird or like this? Did you ever had any kind of this moment where you were disappointed at yourself in a pretty tough situation of a race because on how you build up your frame or your prototype in this case?" Uh. Balance it with something that your customers want to listen to and something that don't. But on the other side, think, take in mind that all the time you refine your prototype before you put them into the market. So
1: yeah, um, I think during race on the race conditions, I've I've never been like this is really terrible. This really bad because obviously because of the whole the whole thought process is. You, know, you you spend so much time thinking about that before you actually go into the race, and you spend a lot of time designing it. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you're trying to eliminate that situation, but definitely on Silk Road mountain race, eagle uh, the there wasn't uh, there wasn't a problem with the bike per se. It was more it was like the terrain was maybe better suited to a twenty nine er. But at the point that I was in the business and what I'd been developing, you know, I I wanted to develop um a sort of, you know, how far how far can you take a gravel bike off road you know, a drop bar gravel bike, how uh how extreme can you make that geometry function? Um in maybe like an environment that's better suited to 29er. Um, so when I was, so when I did do Silk Road, I mean, it, it's just the the thing with it. There's there's never ever necessarily any perfect bike. So for instance, you know, when you're doing these very technical rocky descents, like you know, you'd rather be sat on a 29er where your weight is much further back, your front wheel is much further forward, and you have flat bars, and you can control control your braking a lot better. But then you get on these flat sections uh or you get on undulating terrain that's more gravel and stuff and then it's like if i was on a gravel bike you'd be ripping it up a lot faster and like you know so um no there's never there's never really something that i've done when i'm just like oh this is so this is this was terrible but there's definitely like these situations where you're like mm, you know uh a different sort of bike would be better i mean it's that's why for atlas mountain after doing silk road uh mountain race and then knowing knowing nelson and how he plays he plays down how uh how bad it's going to be <laughs> like uh, i think because nelson is like such an accomplished um so, you know, he used to be uh, an alpinist, didn't he? He used to be a mountaineer and all this. So then I think he he sort of like looks at this terrain and just be like, yeah, that's all right. And then maybe uh, for other people, it's like, that's not all right. Yeah. <laughs> um. So then with this in mind, you know, like uh, I came to Atlas Mountain with a 29er, partly because I, I wanted to develop an overland expedition uh you know a, a, a big capable uh bike packing rig um uh, but even then you'll join know, atlas mountain there's bits where you're just like man the only thing really you should have is a full suspension bike and even then you know, talking to the people on full suspension they were just like that was horrible <laughs> so it's like you know it's like you know there's just there's there's always gonna be there's always gonna be a time when you're just like this is really hard and it I, I don't think it's necessarily a case of uh one bike is better than the other, uh, for everything. It's just you know, um I guess it's just it's just hard and that's what it is so you just have to put up with it
0: (laughs) makes sense so but yeah come on you cannot escape from this question so I'm gonna turn it around (laughs) and I'm gonna tell you there was for sure one moment between your TCR between your SRMR between your AMR when you said damn it Rob you are such a genius (laughs)
1: Um... and at
0: least probably flip it in this side could be better for you to answer to it
1: the, the, actually, there was one thing that I was very happy with with the 29er was uh, because I've, after doing Silk Road Mountain Race and I, I had a bar bag uh, on the front because I'd always gone with the setup of having half frame bag, a saddle bag and a bar bag to carry my stuff. Uh, but then uh, the bar bag even strapped to your handlebars it's still like it and you know putting sort of like uh frame protection tape and but cuz the terrain is so bumpy and the, the bag is just smashing into your head tube all the time it's sort of like compromised handling so you're you're doing like these technical rocky descents and then you've got a handlebar bag bouncing around or like trying to like throw your steering off I didn't, I didn't find that too enjoyable. So then for Atlas Mountain races, I, I wanted to design something that could, uh, that would better secure, um, you know, a, a bar bag or bar roll, uh, something that would take that weight off my bars, That wouldn't, um, that wouldn't damage the front of my bike, that would make taking it on and off the bike easier. Uh, so I developed this front rack that clamped to the crown of the fork. So then uh, it's it's an odd looking rack because normally your front racks would be long and thin going the length of the wheel with mines the other way around where it's wide and short because it's designed to, you know, carry uh, a bar bag. And oh, man, it was just it just worked really well like when I made wow. it and I was like okay I'm testing this I've got to see because um, when I welded it up, I was, I was a bit concerned that maybe the plate I'd used for it was a bit thin because um, there's a slight bit of flex when I put it on the fork I was like oh there's a bit more flex and maybe there should be but to be honest I didn't I didn't have time to change it because it was going to paint and it's like it's going into paint so you know like what will be will be if i have a problem with it then i'll just strap the bag to my handlebars you know uh and then go back to the drawing board but actually it was, it just worked perfect it was amazing and like it just meant things like taking the bag on and off the bike was so easy because instead of you doing this balancing act where you're trying to strap it to your bars and like support the weight of the bag you just chuck it on this rack and then you cinch it down uh it made the handling of the bike better because the weight is lower uh and it didn't bounce about so then it wasn't trying to like bounce all over the place and throw your steering off and and yeah i mean you you do you know, it, for instance you're know, like uh during the race like it, it's so bumpy like all the bolts start shaking out of your bike so like yeah you know, like halfway through you're like tightening bolts you're just like jesus man this is like really extreme um but you know my my rack uh was all good it's bad. Vit- i mean i put a video up on my instagram because uh, i ha- i've had a lot of interest in that so it's like showing people like you know look the bag is like stuck on there it's not bouncing around it's not trying to come off it's just like you just stuck it on and it, it stayed there and yeah, that, that was a moment where I was just like, ah, oh, yeah, that really worked. I'm, I'm very happy.
0: <laughs> That's great. Maybe just, I remember that we talked about that during our first talk on the, the registration day about yeah. this kind of rack and thing. We At the end of the day, we spent most of the time at this talk not talking about the rack, even if you introduce it, but we talked about your paint job. That was, wow. Yeah. <laughs> but still, uh, functional wise, I would say that yeah, it was pretty pretty interesting to see how you built up the rack in order to put the front roll in uh, in this way. And yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. Another small thing that I want to say: we were talking about bikes for different setups and stuff. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, just to zoom out a bit, the setup that you had. So okay, you have made the Atlas Monte race on your 29ers Overland. Prototype number four, uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting bike. It was a front suspended. I don't remember that. No, it was. Uh,
1: rigid. Full, full it's rigid
0: full. It's completely rigid fork. Perfect. While on the other side, you have made uh, Silk Road Monterey in your Kegeti, and it was a twenty a seven hundred C, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I had the Lau. The love uh, gravel
0: fork. The love fork. Uh, okay, okay, but probably yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I can see completely the point that probably the the Silk Road Monterey's has a rougher terrain than the Atlas Monterey's.
1: Yeah, so, possible. What do
0: you think about that?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I mean, like the thinking with that is like you know with the gravel bike as running, much thinner tires. Like right? you know the 29er just has so much more volume uh so i mean if if you think w- the benefits from the low fork is it's probably similar to having like a really fat i had a 2.4 tire on the 29er so you know the low fork is probably comes uh you know feels feels similar arguably i mean that's a really difficult thing to quantify so
0: yeah of course yeah yeah. shaking of your bones is always unquantifiable yeah. it's always uncomfortable so
1: rattling of my teeth um was <laughs> but but then again you know i did design the 29er so it's suspension corrected so if you wanted to run a hundred mil xc fork in there you could um with your like 25 percent sag so you could have like a good bit of travel on uh a xc fork uh with that bike but i mean a bit a big part of why i decided to go rigid was i mean that's the sort of design of the bike you know, basically i wanted to appeal to uh your bike packers expedition people who go on like long uh, long distance expeditions on like 29ers. Uh, so the rigid fork is just probably what they would pick and would be more practical and like you can carry more equipment on there. Plus, I, I, I wanted to do this rack. So um, oh, yeah. quite a few people was like, oh, why well, didn't you do suspension? And it's like, well, yeah, you know, I, I had a lot of sort of design ideas I wanted to try out. Um, yeah.
0: Are you going to put a drop bar on it or people can do it? What do you think? Also aesthetically wise, maybe.
1: Um, You, I mean, the, the thing with the geometry of this 29er is designed uh, for flat bars. So, but it does have a longer stem. So there's a 70 mil stem on the, just because it handles a bit better for the type of XC riding and having, it's, you know, it's a 69 degree head tube if we were if we're doing like downhill or something you'd slacken that head tube a lot and you put a short stem on there uh to sort of like counter it uh, you still have good steering but you could if you put a really short stem on you might be able to run drop bars but it's not really designed for that um that might be the next uh sort of prototype it's because essentially to to have the longer rear, uh, the longer front end, uh, so you know it's got a really long uh, frame uh, body, uh, and then to run the shorter stem with flat bars because obviously drop bars, uh, the point where you rest on the on the hoods is much further forward than you would on a flat bar. So I mean, if you were to put drop bars on it, I could design it. Basically I could design it to run with drop bars, but you'd have a shorter front end which changes how it handles. Like the, the longer front end means it's better equipped to just roll over rocks and bumps and rough stuff. So uh it handles better in the dirt. I mean this this is like essentially, you know, like modern MTB design. Uh where you know that longer front end it just gives you better control and handling um when you're descending when you're hitting bumps uh you have a tendency to roll over instead of getting stuck in the bump. Uh so you can design it to work with drop bars, but I would argue maybe that's what the kegerty is designed to be. Um and you know the sort of compromises you know the kegate the kegerty is sort of like faster but maybe less capable on single track was like this is just because of your more upright position you tend to uh catch you know, you're you less aerodynamic so you might have a slower speed on the flat uh but you'd be able to deal with more technical terrain uh better
0: perfect rob i think that actually we crashed the almost the one hour and a half of talking yeah so I want you to say the last words on this recording.
1: <laughs> oh my god. I don't know. Um...
0: Uh, exactly. Try to <laughs> avoid the um
1: <laughs> I just say um you start okay. no. no no no,
0: let's let's go for I can help you on that. Tell me where tell us where people can find you around in the internet.
1: Oh yeah, well obviously on my website which is quirkcycles.com or if you want to see my most up-to-date uh, my most up to date erms. Um, no, my most up to date you know, information, <laughs> pictures, what I'm working on day to day. You go to my Instagram, which is your know, instagramcom Quirk cycles. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously, you know, people will have found me on the broom wagon.
0: Of course, man. Not in the physical one because you are too strong to jump in the broom wagon, man.
1: No, i would take it but um yeah yeah uh that's where you can find me and yeah just i mean just google Quark cycles you see uh you see me in a few other places
0: cool man it was really i can probably give you the flag of one of the nerdiest episodes of my life and i'm so happy that i've done it with you
1: awesome yeah yeah i I hope it was informative and maybe helps people understand uh you know what custom is all about
0: yeah we can probably also think about doing something recurrent where we are talking about different aspects of uh i don't know um geometrical frames or materials or even just design of small um accessories and stuff that you can put on a bike we can think about that
1: definitely definitely uh yeah, I, I get I get really nerdy about, I spend a lot of time looking at things like rolling resistance tests and you know, all this sort of stuff. So I can get really, really nerdy about a lot of aspects of <laughs> like the bike and stuff. So if people want more nerdy stuff, yeah, maybe. Yeah.
0: Give us a shout. We can make it happen about everything on bike, nerdy things about everything on bike. We can do it. I have needed probably to study a bit more, but I can do that. I'm <laughs> going to talk about the anecdotal side. The thing that you can do, we can do. we can. You can ship me some prototypes and stuff. And then you are telling why you have done stuff. And I can tell you the reaction.
1: Well, we we, we need to meet up and uh, ride some bikes together. Cause I, of I, I course. Don't, I don't actually believe you can ride a bike. Because I've never seen you do it.
0: I cannot. I cannot. I'm just a pretender. I'm a pretender. I've, I'm here with a room that I pretend to be full of bikes, but it's just growing on the wall.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, I send out some Instagram posts and stuff saying that I'm on the bike, but I just something like put my kit on and just borrow bicycles around the world. It's I never like, ride my bike.
1: It's like when you watch someone driving a car in a movie. It's fake. Yeah. Like They're not doing it. you yeah, Exactly. just the back of a lorry.
0: <laughs> but I have it into my bones and also since a lot of time. I remember when I was a kid, I was a lot into tennis. And when I was watching the the match, the tennis match, something like US Open or Wimbledon, or whatever, I was dressing up as a tennis player with a racket in my hands. No way. So I was watching tennis match on TV with a racket in my hand just because, I don't know, I was pretending to play. And it's the same. Here, usually when I watch, when I watch Giro d'Italia or stuff like this, I actually dress up as a cyclist and I jump on the on the roller, but just sitting there. I will not make any pedal rock.
1: With a bead on a bead on full of beer, yeah.
0: Uh, no 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 no. Uh, actually I have a bidon but it's empty because I like to throw it away like I would have been a proper rider. <laughs> <laughs> I spend a fortune on bidons.
1: Not <laughs> throwing them away <laughs>
0: Cool, Rob. It was really great pleasure. Thanks a lot for our chat.
1: No problem. Thanks so much, Stefano. I'll talk to you soon. Yes.
0: More than one hour and a half, but it was enjoyable, isn't it? And still, we have a lot of time to spend by listening to cool things. So, I will not go longer than that. Please, if you like this podcast, be take some time, now you have time, to review, and to make a comment and to rate this episode on Apple Podcasts. This is the only way that we can push the broom wagon on top of all the charts. Second thing, please support your local dealers, and especially the ones that I have close to my heart. In this case, I would say Open Open Cycles with Andy, Andy Kessler. Hi, how you doing, man? And Chimbar. Remember that you have the discount for chin Bars. Just write Broom with capital letter B, 30 to get a 30% discount of your, yeah, bar and nutrition stocking for your bike. Apart from that, stay home, stay safe. Huge, huge, huge and warm hug to all of you. I will talk to you next week. Be sure, I'm not gonna move from here producing this content. Be sure.